morning, guys. It's wonderful to see you. It's wonderful to be here together. Uh, if you are new with us, welcome. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. We are going to be continuing today uh, in our series, Becoming Like Jesus. Guys, we're going to be in Ephesians 6, if you want to turn there. Ephesians 6, Becoming Like Jesus. In this series, we've been focusing on the fact that God wants to transform us into the image of Christ. He wants to, remember, he wants to restore back to us the wholeness and the goodness in which he originally created us. And this week, we're, we're going to, I'm very excited about this, these brief few moments together today. It really fits awesome with what happened in our classes this morning. And I also just want to tell you I'm excited as I say that this week we're going to see that we have an enemy who wants to keep us from becoming like Jesus and experiencing the relationship with God that we were made for. We have an enemy. And before we get to that, and before we get to Ephesians 6, who has heard the name Victor Wimbenyama? I got a few, not nearly as many as I thought. It's great, so I'll just teach you right now. Victor Wimbenyama is seven feet four inches tall. He has an eight-foot wingspan. It's real. Uh, and he moves around with the agility, the quickness, that's mo like he's more agile, more mobile than uh, most regular-sized people, except that he is, I did my best to actually measure this out. So this is his wingspan, and I'm actually two inches shorter right now than he is in real life. He's 19 years old. That's right. What? It's unbelievable. And he just entered the NBA. Okay, so this has never happened before. What we're seeing, I'm, I'm being serious. This has never happened before. He blocked the first shot he ever saw in a National Basketball League game. So last week, so the reason I'm doing this, there's a point. This is crazy, right? Imagine, I'm, like, I'm, I'm still two inches shorter, and I can't move right now. Like, I'm trapped right here unless someone moves the chair around. Let's not try it. There is a coach, video surfaced a week, week and a half ago, of an NBA coach, a former NBA player. So he's full size himself, and he strapped four-foot pads to his arms and chased his players around the court while they practiced, shouting, Wimby! Victor Wimbenyama, Wimby! And you can watch them trying to get farther away, get their shots off quicker, because this is coming for them. Okay? So why, why is that coach flailing around his arms and shouting? Why is he doing it? Because he wants his team to be prepared. He wants his team to know what the opposition is going to be like so they can be ready for the opposition that they're going to face. This is massive. What would you do if I asked you to come shoot a basketball right now? And in our text, so that's the double Swiffers. Again, I was two inches shorter than Victor Wimanyama just then. 
I, I suddenly feel very low to the ground, and I'm <laughs> slightly above average height. In our text today, the Apostle Paul is the coach with pads strapped to his wrists shouting Wimby because he wants us to be ready. Christians, in our journey of sanctification, in our journey of being restored into Christ-likeness, we have an opponent. And the Holy Spirit, through Paul, wants us to know what our enemy is going to do. Wimby! He wants us to know how we should be ready to face opposition so that we still experience the purpose for which we were made. But of course, we're not, we're not facing an exceptionally long and nimble Frenchman who's 19. We're facing Satan, the original deceiver, aren't we? We're facing the very enemy of God. Paul wants us to be ready, and he has good news for us. But let's start with this reality today. We have the opposition of a supernatural enemy. We have to know. We have to know. Coach Paul is saying we have the opposition of a supernatural enemy. We face it. He wants us to know what it looks like. So let's read about it. This is Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything... To take your stand. Stand, therefore, with the truth like a belt around your wrist, righteousness like armor on your chest, your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In of the E situation, take up the shield of faith, which, which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession. For all the saints. Now, you may be thinking, that passage is pretty heavy. Put on armor. Cosmic powers. We're just here. We're just five foot eight people and the giant's coming, right? Resist in the evil day. And it is serious. But it's good serious. It's serious news about serious joy and let's see why the passage tells us how to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil the word schemes there means deceit or trickery that's really important information for us about our enemy that's finding out that victor Wimbanyama has eight feet worth of arms that tells us what to be ready for. So we have an enemy, and we know that our enemy isn't coming at us with eight-foot wingspan, or he's not coming at us with tanks or jujitsu, but with lies. Yeah. Right? 
The passage says that we don't struggle with flesh and blood. It says we wrestle against cosmic powers and against darkness. So we have an enemy. We have an enemy who fights through deceit, and it is a spiritual struggle. Just understanding a little bit what we're facing in the opposition. We have a deceitful spiritual enemy. That, that's how he schemes. But what is it that the enemy is scheming against? This is why I say it's serious news about serious joy. What are we wrestling for as followers of Jesus? We've got to recognize clearly that Satan is trying to keep us from something. And we are supposed to the opposition trying to take away from us. Let's first answer this question by going back to the beginning of this book of Ephesians. Because I want you to see the primary theme of this letter, which is that Christ is reconciling the world to God. That's what the book of Ephesians is primarily about. Christ is reconciling the world to God. Let's closeness with the Father through Jesus, okay? So listen, this is Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. This is five chapters before what we just read about the schemes of the enemy. It says this. Oh, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. And blameless in love before him, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. How insane! In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on, all, on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time. To what? To bring everything together in Christ, both in heaven and things on earth in him. Stop there. This could be, uh, this could be, Phrase for phrase, the most beautiful passage in the Bible. God chose us in him in love. God adopted us according to the good pleasure of his will. When's the last time you thought about that? It was God's good pleasure to make you his kid. He lavished his grace on us. It's a major theme of Ephesians and the major theme of the universe is that Jesus wants to reconcile us back into a lavishly loving relationship with God. Can we believe that? Can we believe that it is God's good pleasure to get his kids back? Those of you who have kids... Don't you want your kids with you most of the time? Don't you? Remember, you're imperfect for this illustration, but don't you most, you want them? My wife, she was out of town for two days, which I guess is why I, I, she's all over this sermon today. So forgive me. There's a lot of scarlet content today. She was gone. She was in Iowa to speak this week. She was only gone for like 36, 40 hours. She, Less than a day, less than 12 hours, she was already call, calling the girls. She, she wanted her girls back. She, I don't even know the, fir, the first flight had taken off. I miss you, you know? 
She couldn't wait to have her kids back. Ephesians wants us to believe that God has a stronger desire for you than, than you have for your children. Christian, God really wants his kids back. Jesus died to reconcile us to the Father, even though we're the ones that broke the relationship in the first place. And our enemy wants to stop what God wants. So let's let's so with that in mind, our enemy wants to stop. We know how he wants to oppose us. We know what he wants to oppose. But I actually want to take that a step further back in time. Let's go farther back than Ephesians one and see the very first scheme in Scripture. We've touched on this every week in the series. If you've been keeping score, but in the beginning, God created humans in His image. In the garden, God said everything was good. Right, unbroken. Everything was at peace. Everything was untainted. People were unbroken. And most importantly, they, they experienced what they were made for in a relationship with God, for friendship with God. They lived in the presence of God. He revealed to them himself in personal ways. They were in relationship. It is not hyperbole to say that is why we exist. The famous Westminster Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what you were made for. That's what the enemy schemes against. You were made to enjoy God for real relationship with God. And Satan, our enemy, is at war against the core relationship of the world, which is our loving relationship with God. Let's read the first scheme of the enemy in Genesis chapter 3. I want you to see it. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God made. He said to the woman, did God really say, scheme, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman, guys, this is all he's got. Really what he's got is questions. But we're going to see they get very, very powerful. You can't eat of the tree, any tree in the garden. The woman said to the fruit, uh, to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit from the trees of the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then listen to this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve, the first people, have closeness with God. They're God's original sons and daughters. They enjoyed him. He enjoyed them. God was glorified in this relationship. Satan hates God and therefore wanted to ruin that relationship. So he schemed. He lied. That is very simply his whole scheme. The enemy lied and convinced Adam and Eve that God didn't really love him, that God didn't want what was best for them, that God couldn't or wouldn't satisfy them. And they fell for the scheme. They believed the lie. They sinned and brought brokenness into the world. And look again at how that encounter ended. This is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. 
the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid. Everlasting love himself was coming to take a walk with them. The God of the universe came to enjoy the evening he has made with his children he had made, but they believed a lie and they hid in the trees. And we've been hiding in the trees ever since. This is the goal of the enemy's schemes. This is it. This is what he's trying to do. He wants you to believe that God isn't loving, that God isn't satisfying, that God isn't best. The enemy wants us to forget the truth and hide in the trees. But God wants us to remember what we're made for. We're made for real, personal, go for a walk in the evening fellowship with God. That's what our enemy is opposing. So how is that going for you? Right? When you think of it as that, like God showed up in the evening breeze looking for his children. Are you in a personal, a meaningful relationship with God? Or would you say you're mostly in the trees? I spend a lot of my life in the trees. I'll never forget the day, uh, Scarlet reference number two. I'll never forget the day several years ago, my wife's first book was released and it was a strange day she was on tv that day she was on radio nationwide she was a nobody i mean she had like a hundred twitter followers and all of a sudden a nationwide book release and when that happens your phone blows up and people wanting interviews and magazine articles and just encouragements and congratulations everywhere and she was getting so many messages while she was out doing the things she was doing i was at home with the girls she was completely overwhelmed and I, at one point, wondered, I remember wondering about the afternoon of that first day, is this going to change our relationship forever? I remember the real thought, like, I hope she'll t- still take my phone calls. <laughs> Guess what? I'm her best friend. When she got home that night, I got thousands of words about her day. Her first day as an author, and we walked in the garden in the evening breeze, so to speak. That's the relationship you were made to have with God. Ephesians 1 says he adopted us as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. God made us to be his children, even his friends, the Bible says. God wants to be in a tell-me-about-your-day relationship with you. It's his good pleasure. Man, it's I, as one who often is in the trees, I can tell you it's much better in the evening breeze. And I didn't mean for that to rhyme. That's just how it happened. Like, iron your clothes and tell God about your day. Talk to God about your problems at work, whatever it is. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. Friends, he wants us. 
That's the big picture of what Satan is scheming against. Simply put, Satan wants to deny you closeness with God by lying to you about the heart of God. The schemes of the devil, spiritual deceit, cosmic trickery. What does that look like in your life? I don't know. He'll go about it in so many different ways, but as the text says, it ultimately isn't about spiritual lies is what he has. That can sound like, if God really loved me, I wouldn't have lost my job or my client or my wife or my friend. That can sound like, if God was lavishing his riches on me, the enemy's schemes sound like anything that leads us into the trees and farther away from the relationship with God for which we were made. Your focus on your career can be rooted in schemes. It can be. Your obsession with your hobby can be rooted in schemes. Even the way you think about your family can be rooted in a scheme if that makes it harder for you to be closer to your Heavenly Father. You know what thought I had at the end of one day this week? Again, I, tell, I, go, to, I go to the trees. I seriously thought I should have played more Mario Kart with my girls today. And condemnation. How absurd. That led to too long of an internal conversation about not being a good enough dad. I want to be a better dad, but... It's not as though Mario is what our, either of our hearts need more of. More Mario Kart, Lord! Those are the simple lies that send us to the trees. What do you believe? These are two questions for your heart. What do you believe in your life that weakens your enjoyment of Jesus? What do you believe in your heart that hurts your friendship with your father. I don't know what the enemy sounds like in your life, but the enemy schemes and they are empty words. That takes us to point number two. We have the opposition of a supernatural enemy and we have the opportunity to remember our supernatural victory. Now we got to the good part. That's our job. Brandon, remember victory. Let me just read some of this text to you again, and this is kind of selected, so follow along on the screen. I hope it's there. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt about your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. So here's what this is saying. We have the opportunity to live in a satisfying relationship with the God for which we were made, and we have an enemy who lives in opposition towards that. But even understanding our enemy, watch, even understanding what he's trying to do doesn't mean we've got to go win the battle by the sweat of our brow. You, it is so easy to read what we just read and read the where If the armor's on us, how am I not the warrior? You are not the warrior in Ephesians chapter 6. You can read this and think, okay, 
I'm, I'm, I'm armed. I'm going to fight. I'm going to stab. I'm going to strain. But that, that simply isn't the gospel, and that isn't our obligation. Watch. When we read this passage about warfare, we should come away convinced that winning isn't our responsibility. And I'm going to show you how. These verses shout that God has already taken care of all the winning. We have a responsibility, but our responsibility isn't to secure victory, it's to believe it. I'm going to point out a couple of phrases from this passage that will hopefully change how you think about armor and how you think about the schemes of the enemy in your life. Wimbenyama is coming, but it doesn't probably mean what you think it means. Did you notice whose strength are you told to stand in? Be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Whose armor are we told to put on? Put on the full armor of God. It's God's strength and it's God's armor. And watch this, more amazing. There are several different verbs in the Greek in these verses about our preparedness for the schemes of the enemy. Multiple verbs that all communicate something similarly powerful. In verse 11, it says, we put on the full armor. You know what that meant in the original language? To sink into a garment. It's God's armor. It's God's strength. And it's God's effort. Verse 13, it says, take up. The full armor, that's a different verb in the Greek that means to receive or take in. Verse 17 uses a third different verb, take the helmet of salvation. That literally means receive or accept. Do you see how we face the schemes? Sink into God's armor. Remember your father's protection. Receive the safety of the one who's already won. Verse 10 didn't say have vast strength. It said be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength, which again in the original language means receive strength. What all this means is that we get to receive armor we didn't make by remembering we've already won a battle we didn't fight. Our responsibility all over the text, all over the Bible, all over human history is to go to God. We go through his word. We talk to the light. Let the message of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's why I'm not going piece by piece through the armor because it sounds a whole lot like the other incentives for sanctification that we talked about last week. But the sword, of the, the sword is mentioned in the text. We go to the word. We go through prayer. We see this in verse 18 and verse 19, which we didn't even read. But in doing so, God, like we go to God through his word, through his prayer, in the truth, and God quips us to remember the things that quench, that shut down the lies of the enemy. God wants to protect you. From the schemes of the enemy and renew your mind with the already settled truth. You're just told to stand. 
I'm just going to give you one example about each piece of armor that God wants us to receive from him, the belt of truth. What is the truth that we can belt on each day? As we saw last week, there's nearly infinite truths that we can they have, that we have the opportunity to remember to help us become like Jesus. We talked about a bunch of them last week, but Philippians 1.6 will work. Receive the truth that he who began a work in you is faithful to complete it. We belt on the truth that it's not you, it's the vast strength of the Lord. Whose righteousness do you put on like a chest plate? This was in class this morning, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We can remember that we get to put on righteousness because Jesus already died for our unrighteousness. Whose gospel of peace do we put on our feet? Not ours. What peace do you have? Jesus said in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace. We can receive peace because Jesus went to war. By grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no man may boast. Christian, there is work for you to do, but our working is really remembering. Do you have physical, spiritual armor? No, it's belief. It's agreement it's memory it's this is who got i've since i started working on the sermon this week i'm trying to before i get out of bed my my alarm goes up i don't get out of bed i'm trying to tell myself before i start the day this is who the lord is and this is who the lord says i am i'm certain i'm getting out of bed stronger i'm not doing anything remembering When we face the lies of the enemy, we don't win. We stand, the text says, by remembering that God has won, that his victory is our victory, and it quenches the schemes and allows us to actually enjoy our father and our friend. Last Scarlet reference. Fourteen years ago, Scarlet almost died. Her first pregnant was what's called, her first pregnancy was what's called an ectopic pregnancy where the baby is stuck in the wrong place. In this case, it was in a tube, very, very small. And Scarlett woke up one morning screaming, just paralyzed in pain. And we didn't know it, but her organ had ruptured, and she was bleeding internally, and the baby was gone, and we didn't know what was going on. She's stiff with pain. It was terrifying. You know what I wanted for her? I wanted her to live. (laughs) I wanted her to win. You have to win this day. But I couldn't bring the victory. I didn't, I didn't even know what the problem was, much less know how to do the surgery to fix it. You know what I did? I carried her to the car and, and carried her into the hospital. She says I saved her life, maybe. Who's to say? <laughs> I couldn't heal her. I didn't have the power to fix it. But I knew someone could, and I thought, I'll go there. That's what the Christian life is like. We don't overcome by being powerful. We overcome by knowing who to go to. 
Paul said, for this reason, receive the full armor of God. Accept the protection of God. Remember the victory of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Do you know what the evil day means? This is so beautiful. I'm going to quote from the Expositor's Bible Commentary. The day of evil is neither a particular juncture like approaching death or the last great satanic outbreak at the end of the age. It is when things are at their worst because of the devil's schemes. The Lord is so, he knows us when things are at their worst. That's what the evil day means. We've all been there. The ruptured organ. I thought my wife was going to die that day. The layoff. The 3 a.m. spiral of your own thoughts. The graveside of the one we love. When things are at their worst, lies come. And they come as a flood. And we can't give ourselves victory. But we can stumble through the door of the hospital. (laughs) We can sink into the armor of God. We, even hurting and failing, we can make our way out of the trees in which we have been hiding and beg our hearts to remember the truth, the one who can heal, the one who can save, the one who can satisfy is our dad who lavished his love on us. Can we This is the Christian life. It is probably both... This passage is probably both less than you think it is and more than you think it is. (laughs) It's both a lot simpler and a lot better. The journey of sanctification and therefore the journey of satisfaction in God is one of remembering. The Bible talks so much about a mind that is renewed to recognize the sufficiency of Jesus. We remember we're safe in Jesus, Lord. We remember we are perfect in Jesus. We are loved to the death in Jesus. We have a friend who made worlds so that we could enjoy him. So our working is really remembering his working. Our striving is resting in his striving. Our standing in this passage is really remembering his moving forward. (laughs) So when your eyes open in the morning, sprint to the truth. That's your responsibility. Be clothed in what is real, what is good, what is true. Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. And every day we can find ourselves in the presence of the one we were made for. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We don't do anything to earn them. We can't do anything to keep them. Reality that we have all we need and more in him. Our God who makes us friends. I'm still kind of getting over this one. (laughs) I, I need this so much. And I know... Again, I don't know what the schemes sound like in your head and in your heart, but you need this so much. So I'm going to pray for us.
and I want to give us an opportunity to pray for one another. I don't know what the schemes sound like in your head, but you do. And we would love to pray with you. We would love, right now, up front, members of our prayer team would love to help steer your heart toward the truth of what Jesus says, what Jesus does, and who he is. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that it is your good pleasure to lavish your love on us. You're unbelievable. We, are, we were your enemies. We still sometimes run and hide like your enemies. And you love us, and you pursue us, and goodness, you want us. And I pray that you would help us to believe those things, and more and more that you are more than enough. God, I pray that you would teach us all of the implications of the work of Jesus, and what it says about you, and what it makes true about us. God, I pray that you would help us to be strengthened in you and by your vast strength. God, would you help us to be strengthened in you and by your vast strength. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.